The Rocky Mountains hold many mysteries. Millions of people enjoy the natural beauty, but some come across the hidden dangers. This is Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. I'm Becky, here with my vivacious friend Melanie. Good word. <laughs> the stories we share are remembered by some, but forgotten by many. So let's dive into Rocky Mountain Red-Handed. Hello, everybody. We are so glad to be back. We did miss last week, so we want to apologize. Tisk tisk. It was our very first week missed since yeah. we started. Becky was really sick. I was so sick, you guys. I was so sick for so long, too. And no one else is sick right now. It was just me. Well, it's that back to school sickness, right? Which yeah. is just so rough. And then one of her kids got sick. So my first grader's been fevering like between 103 and 104 since like Saturday night. So it's been a long haul. Yeah. She, so they're surviving. But yes. We're mm -hmm. good. We're here. We hope everybody out there is help and we, healthy. We missed you guys. And we got to say, it was so sweet to see some like well-wishers online. It was very sweet. So thank you for thinking of us. Yeah. Very nice of you guys. So Rocky Mountain Red-Handed is growing every week, so please keep sharing with your friends, family, rate and review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps us out. Yeah, it really does. So just remember to be sure you are subscribed and following us on social media because we do, we're going to be making our big announcement, which we've been talking about forever. I, I think we're going to do it next week. We're going to announce it next week. Oh, apparently. Yeah. <laughs> Becky just put it out there, so now we've got some work to do here for next so week. Make sure you're connected. <laughs> yep. So our story has a little bit of European class today. Ooh la la. Yes, it's based um, in Arizona, but with a French twist. Yeah, so hence the episode name today, Je t'aime. Oui, oui. Ooh. So did you take a language in high school, Mel? I actually took French. You took French? Yeah, I don't remember hardly anything. So I, I had a friend in college teach me how to ask for a beer in French. In and French. that's the only thing I know. Did you take one? Um, I took Spanish, but the only thing I seriously remember is how to say head, shoulders, knees, and toes okay. and sing the song in Spanish. That's all. That's all. So probably not the best two years of my life, right? Yeah, not super helpful. <laughs> yeah. So without further delay, we would like to introduce you to Ira Pomerantz. Yeah. Ira Richard Pomerantz was born on February 24th, 1939 in Kings County, New York. So Kings County is like essentially Brooklyn. And like the westernmost edge of Long Island, um, Ira is definitely a New Yorker through and through. And he like lived that fast paced, spontaneous New York lifestyle. He didn't like being told what to do or where to be. So with his like solid work ethic and a lot of hustling, Ira built himself into a man who achieved a lot in his life. He was incredibly successful and he actually became a very established importer. And he specialized in the garment industry. Yeah, Ira was also known as quite the Casanova Melanie. He loved women and women loved him. He was married and divorced twice in New York. So, you know, when he was ready for a change, when he got a little older, in 1992, his best friend, uh, Louis Malazzo, talked him into semi-retirement. And Ira, who was just 53 at the time, it's a good time to retire, 53, right? He made the big move to a desert paradise, Scottsdale, Arizona. So a New York transplant taking over Scottsdale. Scottsdale is a suburb of Phoenix, and it's known for its high-end shops and world-famous golf resorts. With about 135 residents in 1992, Scottsdale was a retirement paradise, and Ira was ready to conquer some new challenges of his new home. 
Ira couldn't sit still, so he decided that he was going to start a few businesses. Yeah, so he opened up a dance club, a restaurant, and like a bar called Rhythm and Cues, which is a cute pun of a name, isn't it? Yeah. Super cute. Have you been to Scottsdale before? I haven't been to Scottsdale. It's gorgeous. It's so nice. Yes, for sure. So it doesn't sound like a really calm retirement. He stayed busy, didn't retire. Yeah, I mean, he owned a nightclub, yeah. so. Mm-hmm. It wasn't long before everyone knew who Ira was, and he had um, he had a well-established reputation as a mover and a shaker in his new hometown. Um, it wasn't uncommon to see Ira cruising around in a Ferrari or hearing of like a last-minute private plane taking Ira and a female guest to Las Vegas to hit the tables and see a show. Yeah, so he had worked really hard in his life. And obviously he was still working hard in retirement and Ira enjoyed his life. He worked hard and played. Played hard. Yes, exactly. After living in Arizona for a couple of years and enjoying the single scene of Scottsdale, Ira had a certain woman walk into his world and turned it upside down. In 1994, Ira's father introduced him to a beautiful French woman named Valerie Pape. You see, Ira's father had just moved to Scottsdale to be closer to his son and he lived in an upscale Scottsdale assisted living facility. Yeah, is that funny? He's like 53 years old and getting set up by his dad. Yeah. I think it's awesome. Yeah, it's <laughs> Valerie was enrolled in the cosmetology school and volunteered at the facility um, that Ira's dad lived to gain practice and experience for her trade. She met Ira's father, and the two got talking as she cut and styled his hair, and the older man insisted that young Valerie meet his son, Ira. Ira and Valerie's date was one for the record books. He was a man who knew really how to impress a lady. So their first date wasn't just like to a fancy restaurant or a big concert. He actually took her on a private plane to Las Vegas with all the perks of a high roller. That is a good first date. It's a good first date. I've never been on a private plane. I've never been on a private plane either. Goals. Goals. (laughs) Hashtag life goals. (laughs) Ira wasn't like anyone she had ever been with in her past. He was like the life of the party, a man who went after whatever he wanted. He was exciting and powerful. Within just six months, Ira and Valerie were living together in his condo there in Scottsdale. Another six months later, Ira had Valerie pick out a beautiful new house for the couple to buy. She selected a large, gorgeous home in an upscale Scottsdale community of McCormick Ranch. This had a gorgeous view of Camelback Mountain. And Ira and Valerie made it official in November of 1995, and they hosted a small, intimate wedding ceremony at their new home. Valerie's background was as different as can possibly be from her new husband's life. Well, Ira was a New Yorker. He was a hustler, a man who worked his way through each day of his life, like by his sweat on his brow, he got things done for himself. Valerie, you know, who was 13 years younger than Ira, she was born in the French countryside, and she attended the finest private schools in her youth. She was a daughter of a physician and had privilege, privilege, privilege. Every every time of her life, she had whatever she wanted. Yep. But with those privileges, her family had high expectations for her life. She was raised and trained at like the strictest finishing schools. Shortly after graduation, she married a financer and CPA. His name was Samuel Levy, and she moved to Paris. You've been to finishing school, Melanie. <laughs> clearly not, Becky. Clearly not. Or else they failed miserably. But no, what about you? Yes, yes. I yeah. am a graduate. Yeah. I can tell. Yeah. You're way more refined than I am. So, 
So the young couple definitely had a charmed life back in France. Um, they had two homes. They like vacationed constantly, and she had endless resources for whatever she wanted. She was a sophisticated, fashionable woman. She wore French couture and always looked flawless. But in private, the couple was definitely suffering. Yeah. They couldn't conceive, which caused a lot of strain on the young couple. Finally, they decided to adopt a baby girl, which brought them both joy. But their new precious daughter did not really ease the tension in their marriage. The couple had a housekeeper and a full-time nanny. Yet, with all this help, they really could still not make their relationship work. Like, when I was, like, researching this and writing this, I was like, oh, if this was nowadays, she'd probably, like, be an Instagram influencer. Can't you see it? Yeah. Yeah. Like, from the outside, her life looked perfect, but from the inside, it's just falling apart. So, Levy claimed that Valerie would vacation by herself constantly and spend just a crazy amount of money each month for her lifestyle to keep it up. Divorce was really unavoidable for them, and when the dust settled... Valerie did not have any custodial rights to her daughter. She had no visitation, nothing, which is sad. With this loss, Valerie needed a new start, and so she moved to America. So Valerie settled in Scottsdale and attended Scottsdale Community College under the cosmetology program. That's where she met Ira's father and the couple connected. So with her new life, her new husband, and her new career, she wanted to start her very own business. She dreamed of opening a high-end salon in Old Town Scottsdale, which is like the trendiest address in town. With Ira's help, Valerie went after her dream. He financed it, and she really made it her own. She found a desired address, furnished it with like boutique-style furniture and art, and arranged all the details. Just weeks before the grand opening, Valerie's business partner, who was a fellow cosmetologist, um, that she met in school backed out of their agreement. Yeah, so Valerie like was in full-on panic mode. She had like put so much into this business and her partner just failed on her. Her dream was so close, but she could not do it alone. So she made a long-distance phone call across the Atlantic. Valerie called Michelle Savage, who was an old friend from childhood and a man she knew that she could trust with her business. He agreed to help run the salon as like a part owner. So Michelle made his way to Arizona. The salon opened and as it was planned, and it was like an instant success. It was like the place to be seen. It was simply called Valerie Pate and was located on the trendy Marshall Way in Scottsdale. It attracted like the most fashionable clientele in the area. They sold the high-end boutique clothing, and they even like hosted live bands and music in the atrium. Apparently, the salon had an atrium, which I've never gone to a salon with an atrium. We're clearly not that fancy. Shout out to Hannah, who does our hair. Yes, she's the best. <laughs> it was more than just a salon. It was like Valerie's life goal. I am, and like, honestly, she's crushing it, right? Don't you I mean that's yeah. amazing? Uh-huh. Yeah, good for her. And with it being just an instant success. Yes. Mm-hmm. Ira was already established in the area as a businessman and a man that you wanted to know. But with Valerie Papes becoming a sought-after place to be seen, she really had established her own name now. Yeah, so she was, like, making her own connections. Her business sense and her, like, European flair was just making it. The couple had it all. They, like, literally had, like, love between each other, wealth, respect, friends, comfort. But within five years, surprise, surprise, it would all be gone. The couple was in love, but as life does sometimes, their schedules really put a strain on their union. Ira worked nights at his clubs and restaurants. He would start his day at 2 p.m. and work into the morning hours. 
Valerie, though, woke up early and was in bed asleep by 10 p.m. So she's like me. Yeah. Like, yeah. don't call me after 8 o'clock. That's that's me, too. That's, we never talk after 8 o'clock. No, my phone is on mute. So just yeah. you can send me a text, but I won't answer. Yeah. Have you ever had that with your husband where you're working opposite schedules? Yes. You have? It's hard. Yeah. I've never had that. Um, when we first got married, now I'm trying to remember, I think it was when we first got married, I was working mornings and he was working like afternoon evenings so did you just not see each other yeah but and at that point in... you didn't you didn't have ki- you didn't have kids yeah. right mm-hmm. yeah. and then he was in school for a while so then we were working the same shift but then he'd go to school in the evening so oh yeah there was a while we didn't see each other yeah like some couples can do that i think it's amazing so if you have experiences with that let us know because that would be really hard so michelle sauvage valerie's friend from france and the owner of the salon moved in with the couple the house was like plenty big, and initially Ira really liked Michelle. The couple and Michelle had like plenty of privacy to live comfortably. Like they each kind of had like their own space. They were on top of each other. They seemed to work and live together with no issues at all. But tell me, Mel, do you think that is a good idea? No. <laughs> we are talking about it, so probably not. <laughs> Ira almost felt more comfortable with Michelle being there with Valerie at home and at work events when Ira like couldn't be there, which was a lot of the time. He was gone a lot. He felt he could trust Michelle with his wife. Some people started the gossip around Scottsdale that something like more was going on with these two French friends. And over time, Ira really began to be suspicious as well. Okay, I may be like old school, but I don't think you should trust your spouse with anyone, right? Yeah, kind of. It's not a good idea. Yeah. Well, we'll slippery. Especially when you're gone all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So eventually, Ira talked to his best friend, Louis. And, um, you know, talked about all their marital issues. He complained about the couple not spending any time together and how it seemed that Michelle and Valerie were more of the couple than himself and Valerie, which I would agree. Even from this far off point, I can kind of, they're working together, they're living together, they've got all this in common with their background of like being French, you know, it's just hard. Ira and Valerie soon became even further estranged with Ira moving into a separate bedroom within their home. Ira spoke to his attorney about his marriage, and he had decided that it was time to take the preliminary steps needed to begin the divorce process. Ooh, that's hard. So with that, should we take our first commercial break there? Give your brain the natural nutrients, blood flow, and neurotransmitter support it needs to make the fight with depression an unfair fight. Get stronger daily with Whole Supplement. Build momentum each day with the Whole Depression Relief Stack. The three targeted daily formulas that will help you feel, enjoy, and progress again. So, how do you take the whole stack? One, wake up formula. Take wake up in the morning with a glass of water to kick off your day with motivation and energy. Number two is the daytime formula. Take daytime around lunch to ensure you have the focus, mood, and productivity to power through the day. That sounds like something we all need. Number three, the sleep it off formula. Take Sleep It Off about an hour before you plan to go to sleep for amazing rest and brain support that will consistently set you up for better days. I've experienced depression since I was a teen. I try to do my best to take care of my mental and emotional health and manage my anxiety and depression. But even with medication, I can find myself struggling some days. I started taking Whole Supplement just a couple weeks ago, and I already feel like I am giving my body the armor it needs to win the fight each and every day. The ingredients in whole supplements have been used for hundreds of years. They just haven't been put together this way to help people struggling with depression. 
There are no proprietary blends and no hidden ingredients in Whole Supplement. So here's Adam Steer, founder and CEO of Whole Supplement. With the mission to help others who, like myself, have struggled with finding relief from depression and anxiety. Our number one goal is to empower everyone we can to make meaningful progress every single day. So now is the time to take care of your emotional and mental health. During the pre-launch offer, you can receive the entire whole depression relief stack at 15% off. Go to wholesupplement.com and use code ROCKYMOUNTAIN. Again, go to wholesupplement.com and use coupon code Rocky Mountain. Simplify your fight with the whole stack from Whole Supplement. Welcome back. Thank you to our sponsors. So Ira told Louie that he made a mistake marrying Valerie and he wanted to end the marriage as peacefully as possible. So unfortunately, these two good friends who have been friends for so many years, this would be the last conversation together and Louis never saw his best friend again. On January 26, 2000, Louis Malazzo called Valerie Pape. He hadn't been able to get a hold of Ira all week long, and the friends usually spoke four or five times every week. Louis asked where Ira was, and Valerie simply said, I don't know. Well, Louis prodded for more info, obviously, and asked when was the last time that Valerie had seen him. She answered that she thought it was maybe Sunday, maybe she said she didn't know exactly where he was, and she guessed maybe he went off to Las Vegas. Well, this didn't sit well with Louie. Ira was not someone who just disappeared and ignored phone calls from, like, close friends and family. Louie told Valerie that they needed to put in a missing persons report as soon as possible. So if I'm not, if I'm, like, MIA for four to five days, and my husband's like, oh, I don't know, would you please put in a missing report for me? Definitely. I mean, this is weird. Also, they're estranged, though, and they didn't see each other a lot. So it is weird, but I can kind of see it. They're living in separate rooms. They're on different schedules. I guess, but wouldn't you have, like, just human decency to be like, oh, he, I haven't seen him for a while, right? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, so, again, Louie, not Ira's wife. Louie is the one that initiated the police contact and wanted to report it. Yeah, I mean, this is, like before like common cell phone use and texting mm-hmm. and stuff right and, so, and, like, and tracking our loved ones which we've talked about a lot because i tracked yeah. i tracked everyone yeah mm-hmm. and they're really like living separate lives like especially if they already are having marital problems they're already sleeping in separate bedrooms and they're grown adults doing their thing yeah i see mm-hmm. so well as instructed by louis valerie walked into the scottsdale police station later that day to report her husband as missing louis met her at the station and filled his own report regarding his friend's disappearance, which I think that's interesting because, and I don't know from my research, I don't, I kind of get the impression that she didn't know that Louis was going to come to the station. Interesting. And that he filed his own report. I think that tells a lot. Yeah. I mean, and Louis was really bugged at this point. And I would be too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Valerie seemed completely unconcerned. She quickly filled out the report with like the bare minimum details and just left. Oh my goodness. So the next day, January 27th, an early morning delivery driver would unfortunately find himself in the middle of Ira's missing persons case. So just outside of a Mesa grocery store on Power and McKellips Roads, and this is about 5 a.m., this driver witnessed something extremely sus. My daughter's the one that 
like put that word in my vocabulary. It's sus, sus babe. I know. Like yeah. Insane. As yeah. teenagers would say. Mm-hmm. He saw a woman pull up in a blue-green 1997 Jaguar sedan. She was small, probably five feet tall and maybe 105 pounds. She was fashionably dressed and in high heels. The woman popped her trunk and pulled out a very heavy-looking object. She really struggled to pick up the bag and to get enough leverage to throw it in a dumpster behind the grocery store. Okay. In high heels. Yeah. Let's break this down. <laughs> like Melanie said, let's break down everything weird about that statement. It's 5 a.m. Yeah. They're behind a grocery store next to dumpsters. Right. What kind of car did she have again? Um, a blue-green Jaguar. Jaguar. She's in a Jag. Yeah. And like you said, she's in high heels. And she, what is she doing? She's, like, dumping this huge, heavy thing. Like, her heels are probably tipping over. This like, is very, very sus. Very, very, very peculiar. So the mysterious woman actually saw him watching her and the two locked eyes like obviously something's not right right this was like such a crazy thing to see at 5 a.m but you know the driver has to do his thing so he had to continue his route he talked to other drivers in the day and like explained what he saw so weird early in the morning and they decided to go back to the dumpster and see if they could find what the woman left behind and Believe it or not, they found it. It was something that was wrapped in multiple plastic bags. They didn't want to open the bag, but one of the drivers, like, poked it with an X-Acto knife. You know, those knives that people use to open boxes. Mm -hmm. That would make sense that a a delivery driver would carry that around. Yeah. Yeah. Well, the blade came out with blood on it. The delivery drivers flagged down an officer in the area and had him come check the bag. Inside, they found a torso. No arms, no legs, no head. Just the torso. Oh, my goodness. Personal note, um, don't mess with delivery drivers, right? Like, they see everything. They know what's going on in all of these neighborhoods. It's true. (laughs) So um, the driver was so astute at 5 a.m. This is amazing to me. 5 a.m. in the morning that he actually had the idea to jot down the license plate of the Jag driven by our little fashionista. And Mel, can you guess who it was? I mean, I'm guessing it was Valerie Payton. Yeah. Shocker, right? Shocker. So the next day, January 28th at 5 p.m., law enforcement visited Valerie Pape's salon and they arrested Pape in front of her customers and employees. Remember, Pape had reported her husband missing less than 24 hours before she tossed a human torso in a dumpster. Not a good look. No. Not a good look. So the police questioned Pape. She first, of course, denied the entire situation. See, she said she was not the person who dumped the torso. And um, can I ask, how many other women are running around in high heels in a jag at 5 a.m.? Not very many. I mean, we are in Scottsdale. I mean, no. After some pressure, she did change her story. She said she came home on January 24th to find her husband in a pool of blood face up in the kitchen. She said she was afraid that she would be accused of killing him and she had to protect herself. So she chose not to call 911 for assistance, which I feel like is a pretty common story that people tell. Like, I found him, but I didn't want to get in trouble, so yeah. I just hid the body. I do. hear it often. You're absolutely right. We do hear often, but, like, I I don't understand that thinking. She just, she can't deny that she was the one that put the body in there, so she had to come up with some excuse for it. And yeah. that's really probably the quickest thing that she could think of yeah, on her Yeah, you're absolutely right, but, like, she's saying she walked into her home into her kitchen 
sees her husband laying in a pool of blood dead and her her knee-jerk reaction is not call the cops yeah. i just don't see it her knee-jerk reaction decided to cover it up right uh-huh. yeah yep. she says she had absolutely nothing to do with his murder but she felt she needed to cover it up instead of calling the so when asked about the dismemberment that's a that's a nasty situation right there yeah. she refused to make a statement she didn't want to discuss the dismemberment at all she requested her attorney and stopped the interview again she denied any part of the death of her husband Yet she was seen dumping the torso in the garbage. Yeah. Well, Pape was charged with first-degree murder and booked in Maricopa County Jail. A few days after the arrest, the autopsy was completed. The identification of a torso can be difficult, which makes sense, right? No facial features, no fingerprints. If you're lucky, maybe a tattoo or a scar. But other than that, to positively identify a torso, of course, we got to go to DNA. Law enforcement swabbed the cheek of Iris' kids for comparison, and the DNA came back as a match, of course. The torso did belong to Ira. Yeah. So during the autopsy, it was discovered that the body had been frozen after death. Ira's head had been severed from the torso, yet the medical examiner was able to find traces of a gunshot residue on the upper section of his chest and back. So it's possible that a gunshot wound was the cause of death. Mm -hmm. So, like, where's the rest of the body, right? Did Pape travel dumpster to dumpster, dropping pieces off? Like, no such luck. The police searched, yet no other body parts were discovered. Yeah, and it's interesting to think what would have happened, like, if the delivery driver just missed. Yeah. Was a few minutes later or just missed and didn't see this. Would she have ever been held accountable? Would I know. Would ever been found? Seriously, like, she got really close to not being tied to this at all. Like, thank goodness for that delivery driver. For sure. Mesa and Scottsdale police served a search warrant for Ira Pomerantz and Valerie Pape's home and vehicles. The couple owned a lot of guns. Guns were found throughout the house and in their vehicles. Particularly interesting, there was a gun found behind the seat in Pape's car, the Jag she drove the early morning when the delivery driver saw her at the dumpster. So no bullets were recovered from Ira's body, so the police had nothing to compare with any gun. Until a police officer with a very sharp eye found a bullet. It was lodged in the wall of the couple's kitchen. So Pape is saying at this point that she discovered Ira's body in the kitchen, right? Yeah, he was laying like face up right in the kitchen. Yeah. I mean, they do say the best liars like stick as close to possible as the truth, right? Yeah, right. Mm -hmm. I don't know anyone who has like a random bullet lodged in their kitchen walls. There's got to be something there, right? Yeah, it's weird. They send the bullet off for ballistic testing at the crime lab. It definitely looked like law enforcement just, like, stumbled into the crime scene. They believe the couple became entangled in a fight in the kitchen. They fought about something. Things got out of control. A gun was pulled out, and... Ira was murdered. That makes sense, right? And a bullet was left behind lodged in the kitchen wall, so this left the police with a valuable piece of evidence. Yeah. Like, that bullet kind of does tell a story of that fight in the kitchen, or the possible fight, alleged fight in the kitchen. Mm Mm-hmm. This one bullet wasn't all they found. Law enforcement also came across some very interesting receipts. Yes. Law enforcement found a receipt for a reciprocating saw. They were never able to find the saw itself, but it was purchased by Pate just weeks before the murder, which seems like premeditation. Ordering a reciprocating saw, right? At the time of his death, Ira was close to 200 pounds and 5'11". And again, remember, Pate was just like a hundred pounds top. She was little. So why would Pape like 
come on, let's take a picture here. She's a cosmetologist <laughs> that looked like she just walked off the runway in high heels. Why would she need a saw? This is like, I guess it's a grim thought, but dismemberment would really only, it really would be the only way she could have physically disposed of his body. He was just too big for her to handle by herself. Don't you think, Mel? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. The police suspected Michelle may have helped her move the body and the dismemberment. Law enforcement found it hard to believe that Pape could have done it all alone. Michelle would be the closest person to Pape in her life, like at this time. I mean, think about it. They were friends or more, I see the laser rumors, for the majority of their lives. Yeah, and if you're going to do that, you're going to go to the person you trust the most, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. So after the ballistics came in, police discovered the bullet in the kitchen wall came from the gun that was found in Pape's jag. What a coincidence. Mm-hmm. That was plenty for a grand jury. That's all they needed. The grand jury indicted Valerie Pape in the first-degree murder of Ira Pomerantz, and she was taken into custody at the Maricopa County Jail in February of 2000. She was not given any bond due to her being a flight risk, which I can totally see, right? Yeah. She's not a U.S. citizen, and she was charged with first-degree murder. It wasn't a far stretch to think that she would try to flee the country. Yeah. Michelle Sauvage, who was Valerie's friend, was cleared of any wrongdoing and immediately took her case to the French consulate office. The consulate office took action right away. You see, France had outlawed the death penalty, and Arizona is a death penalty state. So there was like a political and moral standoff involved in this case. Yeah, that's sticky. Yeah. So, of course, not wanting to cause an international incident because that could very easily turn into an international incident. Right. The prosecutor's office decided to just press forward with a charge of first degree murder with the possibility of life in prison, not the death penalty. Iris' family, especially his daughters, were very upset with this change in Pape's charges. With the body dismemberment, like obvious pre-planning, I mean, remember the cell was purchased weeks before the murder weeks. happened. Yeah. Mm -hmm. They believed Valerie Pape deserved the death penalty. So Ira's daughter believed that Pape was a gold digger, like Kanye says, and that she had just sucked him dry as much as possible. Robin Campbell, one of Ira's daughters, told Arizona Republic, the newspaper, in 2001, quote, I think he was blind. I think he was fooled. I think he just fell into it and was swept away. This is not like him, end quote. Robin shared that her father was usually a very skeptical man. Quote, there was no question he really loved this woman. With the couple headed towards divorce, there seemed to be an obvious reason for Pape to want Ira dead, his fortune. Yet with a little digging, another truth was discovered. After looking into Ira's private finances, the prosecutor's office discovered that Ira had recently filed for bankruptcy. Ooh, no money. Yeah, the money was gone. In the midst of the money troubles, Ira signed their home over to Pape for just $10 to ensure her happiness and that they would continue to live there. So the defense wove an argument straight out of a of So the defense wove an argument straight out of a Martin Scorsese film do you like Martin Scorsese movies? Um, they're okay. Really? Do you like them? Oh, I love a good gangster movie. Are you kidding me? Like Goodfellas? Goodfellas. Casino? Come on. The Godfather? Okay. So they leaned into his New York ties with a claim that Ira owed a small fortune to the mob. 
Remember, Pape claimed she had nothing to do with Ira's death and that she was just the person to discover his body in the kitchen. The defense claimed Ira had made frequent trips back and forth from New York City and Las Vegas and that he was involved with organized crime. Pape claimed that Ira was tangled up in a business dealings with some very shady people, including the mafia. Was we like were these shady business partnerships the cause of Ira's death? And I gotta say, that's a great defense. Yeah. To tie those together. Really, like those attorneys really were able to manipulate that if it is allegedly. Right. I think it's a good defense. Also, Pate made a claim that outraged Ira's family and close friends. She said she had suffered from domestic abuse. His loved ones claimed that they had never, ever seen Ira be violent in any way during his life. Yet some of Pape's friends claimed to have seen bruises on her body. With the help of her supporters, the local newspaper printed large pictures of Valerie Pape with two black eyes with the claim of proof of domestic violence. But Ira's supporters, his daughter in particular reported to the newspaper that she had her own proof. The photo printed in the newspaper, the photo that Valerie had given the paper, this with the two black eyes, this was taken the day after Valerie had a facelift. Oh my gosh. That is crazy. Can you believe that? Oh, that's crazy. So the newspaper ended up retracting the article and picture the next day. Yeah, which... You know, it sounds like she's definitely lying, but this always makes me so sad because if she's lying, those stories are the stories that make people doubt real people who have been abused, like the people who really are victims of domestic violence. So there are police records of law enforcement being called out to Ira and Pape's home due to like arguments but no record of, like, domestic violence. Does that make sense? Like, shouting, but no hands-on. Ira's daughters claim they had never been hit, nor their mothers in the past. I think those ex-wives would probably be really strong witnesses for them. Witnesses, yeah. Mm-hmm. But in 1999, Pape had taken out a protection order against Ira. Happy couples don't usually have protective orders against each other. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And this was a year before Ira's murder. There was something definitely going on in the relationship, for sure. With all of this stacking up on the defense's side, the prosecution team did seem concerned. The protection order, there were claims of physical abuse, domestic disturbance calls. The defense really may have a pretty good case. Yeah, this is when, like, those, like, you know, little doubts can sneak in and distract from like what actually happened with finding the torso do you know what i mean sure. like i can see how it's getting pretty muddy yeah in what looked to be a very clean cut case don't you think right the defense is doing a good job muddying up but you really just have to go back and look at the facts. Yeah. she mm-hmm. dumped the body yeah so the community really seemed to be split ira was a well-established and a respected businessman pape was well connected and had her strong reporters public opinion was really split there in scottsdale it was like anybody's guess on what the outcome of Pape's trial would be. Pape stayed connected with the community while she was in jail. In fact, while detained, she had a friend send out Christmas cards for her throughout the community. That would be interesting to get a card from someone in prison. <laughs> She's like on it. I don't get Christmas cards out most of the time. I don't either. <laughs> the card featured a big picture of Pape in a skimpy bathing suit while laying in the sun with her two Doberman pinchers. I have never received a Christmas card. With a middle-aged woman laying in a skimpy bathing suit. 
Mel, would you get on that, please? That's what your Christmas card for me can do this year. You're welcome. So Ira was not pictured or mentioned on the Christmas greeting at all. Yeah, so Ira was not pictured or mentioned on the Christmas greetings like, at all. So the prosecution had a strong case with physical evidence and like strong witness testimony. And the defense had plenty to give reasonable doubt. Yeah, remember, it only takes one juror. Domestic abuse can easily cause the jury to doubt conviction while deciding like on a charge of first degree murder. If the jury comes back from deliberation with a not guilty because they can't convict a woman who they believe to be a victim of abuse, she walks free. Yeah, that's true. It just takes one. Yeah. 100% free. Can you imagine just walking out with that? So during the summer of 2002, the prosecution decided to offer Pape a plea agreement. The plea agreement offered Valerie Pape a charge of second degree murder with the terms of 10 to 16 years in prison. Ira's family, not surprisingly, was very disappointed with this plea agreement. Yeah. In the time that Pape had been detained in jail, she actually remained really busy. She's a little busybody. She had visits from the French consulate general and a French senator. She held regular French lessons for her fellow inmates and made homemade cards and valentines. Yeah. So the question is, Will Valerie Pape accept this plea agreement or will she stand by her story and roll the dice with a jury? So let's take a break. Rocky Mountain Red Handed is brought to you by Balance of Nature. I love my Balance of Nature. I take it every morning and it makes me feel so good. I do not like to eat vegetables, so I take my Balance of Nature to be able to get in the nutrients that I need. Go to balanceofnature.com and use promo code REDHANDED for 35% off your first order. We call it three and three. I take my three capsules of veggies, three capsules of fruits, and it gives me all I need. So that's Balance of Nature, promo code REDHANDED. Thank you so much to our sponsors. Now let's get back to the story. So we left off with the prosecution offering Pape a plea agreement. Mel, did she take it? Yes, she did take the plea agreement. Valerie Pape appeared at the Maricopa County Superior Court on August 20th, 2002 and pleaded guilty. Guilty to second degree murder, not first. Valerie made a statement in which she claimed the following, quote, I fired a gun at the direction of Ira Pomerantz and it hit him. After years of denying her involvement in any way, this is how she chose to somewhat accept culpability. Like, she showed no remorse and was shown any, in any way. During the victim impact statements, Ira's family begged Valerie to tell them where the rest of Ira's body was dumped so that they could bury him as whole as possible. Pape just stared back blankly. The judge seemed to not be very happy with the conclusion of this court case, and it showed during Pape's sentencing. The judge sentenced Valerie Pape to 16 years of prison, the maximum under the plea agreement. Pape was given credit for the three years she was jailed before and during her trial. Wait, so due to her time being served, that means she only had 13 years left mm-hmm. to serve? Yep, mm-hmm. for murder. I mean, I can definitely see why the family was so upset. I agree. I mean, this is not a long sentence. This man was murdered in his own home and dismembered. Yeah. Not to make things worse, but Valerie had a chance to return to France just four years into her sentence due to a prisoner exchange. Oh my gosh, just four years. The U.S. and France had an existing treaty for prisoner exchange. With this treaty, 
France would have had the right to release her at any time once back in France. So she could land in France and be free and be totally free. Ira's daughters were horrified when they heard of this possible prison exchange and contacted the state of Arizona immediately. Unbelievably, the state never contacted the family about this exchange, and the exchange was actually already in progress. Already in progress. Like, she's packing her bags, ready to go back to France. Yeah, Valerie Pape had already left the prison and was on her way to a holding facility to wait for her international flight back to France. Luckily, the state was able to stop the transfer, and actually, Pape was returned back to prison. Can you believe this family was not contacted? Like, she had, like, one foot out the door. Well, in February of 2016, at the age of 62, Valerie Pape completed her sentence in Arizona for Ira's murder. She was immediately deported back to France. Good riddance. Yes. Wee wee. I'm sorry to say that Ira's daughters have not been able to lay their dad to rest completely. Portions of Ira's remains have never been recovered and returned to his family. Stacy Pomerantz, who is Ira's daughter, said, quote, I have no place to go on his birthday or Father's Day. There is no place where I can leave him a flower. Robin Campbell's Ira's daughter said, quote, Sometimes I wake up and I'm not sure if it ever happened. It's still somewhat unbelievable. A lot of it I may never have answers to, unquote. I mean, there are just so many unanswered questions. So many. I mean, yeah. Should we list them? First off, our love and prayers go out to Ira's family. They've never been given, like, the full explanation of what happened the night he was murdered. Pape could not physically dispose of the body alone, right? I mean, in my head, that's just not possible. It's not possible, for sure. It would be near impossible, even with the dismemberment, I feel like, to move the body. Yeah. So Bill Crawford um, was Valerie Pape's personal trainer and said, quote, I have always thought she wasn't physically, physically capable of doing the brutal hard work of separating body from limb. But remember, she's like 100 pounds and her personal trainer is going to know. Right. I yeah. Agree. There's a lot more to the story than she is choosing to confess to. And she never will as she's back in France. She yeah. has no reason. To she has me. no reason to. I wish I could like have found more details about Michelle's alibi. All I could find was that he was 100 percent cleared by Scottsdale police. Something's got to be there. I would, right. I mean, I would think so, because who else was close enough to her to like share this horrible secret and to help her out? Mm hmm. And also, get this, Michelle was trained in criminal psychology back in France. So he had some knowledge. Yeah, he knew what was going on. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So I wonder, like, I mean, he could use that knowledge to his advantage in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, he is 100% cleared by the police. So, you know, which I'm sure they scrutinized him, right? I mean, I'm sure that they did. Um, Ira's missing limbs and head have never been found. I mean, the question is, like, did she just dispose of the body in random, like, trash receptacle? So did she just dispose of his body parts in random trash receptacles wearing her high heels? I, <laughs> that's such such a weird thought. Um, I, I would guess that you're right. I mean, I guess she could have buried them somewhere. I wish I had these answers. It's like a sad, sad story. I mean, my shot in the complete dark. I would think that she went to different trash receptacles, don't you think? I don't see her as like the physical labor type. Yeah, it's such a sad story. Well, Arizona, we do have a positive story to share for our Rocky Mountain redemption. Yes, straight from the Good News Network. Thank you, Good News Network. 
when 95-year-old Johnny Demas lost his full-time caregiver and wife of 67 years, there really didn't seem to be many options other than to move out of his home and into a nursing home. But he and his late wife had always vowed that they would never go into a home. So his grandson, Roger Gilbert, devised a plan. He moved Grandpa Johnny from Illinois to live with Roger and his wife, Joe in Sedona, Arizona, two years ago. This is such a great story. And last October, they decided to embark on an epic journey around the USA in their motorhome, visiting all of the places on their grandfather's bucket list. Knowing that, you know, his time, of course, is limited, the unlikely trio explored and experienced as much as they possibly could together, from Mardi Gras to Las Vegas. I love this. He's 67 years old. So fun. And he's going to Mardi Gras. It's awesome. Most importantly, they got to visit several World War II museums where Johnny was, quote, treated like a rock star. That's so great. So sweet. Before loading his wheelchair into the motorhome for their trip, they dubbed their vehicle the Sweet Mary Bus for Johnny's late wife. So sweet. So some of their favorite stop turned out to be Tombstone, Arizona, which I've always wanted to go to Tombstone. Have you been there? No. I want to go so bad. White Sands, New Mexico, and the Texas cities of San Antonio, Austin, and Dallas. I love San Antonio. It's one of my favorite cities. Um, quote, Grandpa loved food, and so we had a blast in Louisiana trying crawfish, alligator, as well as all those things New, York, New Orleans is known for, end quote. They toured the Louisiana swamps on an airboat. It's so cool. And enjoyed Mardi Gras, Mardi Gras celebrations before heading back to Arizona. I will say I have tried alligator. Have you really? It was disgusting. Was it? Is it? I just imagine it's chewy. It was chew. It was. It kind of looked like a sausage, and it was chewy and spicy. It was actually on a, a dance date in high school. Are you serious? Yeah. Oh they didn't. Gosh. They didn't tell me what it was, and so they like put it on my plate. I was Melanie will just eat came. anything you put in front of her, except for bacon. Joe says, quote, I can honestly say that caring for grandpa was the hardest and most rewarding thing we have ever done. Caring for someone 24-7 is a very difficult job, but it also teaches you to be selfless, end quote. That is such an amazing granddaughter-in-law, don't you think? Yeah. So she said, quote, grandpa taught us so many, both of us so many things with the joy and contentment he felt in sitting by a campfire or the sweet moment spent feeding popcorn to the ducks. He taught me that the simple times, the quiet moments in life, are the ones to value. She goes on to say, It was such an honor to see how people respected his service in World War II and how fascinated they were by him and his stories. As we walked down the street, people would stop Grandpa, shake his hand, and thank him for his service. They didn't often stop long enough to see how Johnny would always well up with emotion and gratitude for their kind words. It touched him so deeply every time. End quote. The 96-year-old passed away on August 16th. Their next planned visit was to visit Graceland, the home of his biggest idol, Elvis Presley. He was so excited to go, but his deteriorating health wouldn't allow allow him to leave. But in a final sweet kiss from God, Roger and Joe realized that Grandpa died the same day Elvis did, 43 years later, and he would have been so tickled by that. Um, That's adorable. Also, I don't know if we, I think we've said it before on the podcast, but Becky is a huge Elvis fan. Huge. Yeah. So, like, since you, I was little. You've been to Graceland. Oh, I've been to Graceland. Is that your favorite? Yeah. And I, like, cried. That's I amazing. love Graceland. It's yeah. amazing. If you haven't been there, everyone should go. That's awesome. And, like, with that story, I wasn't going to mention it, but I'm going to mention it. Today's kind of a big deal for me personally, you guys. 
Look here. I don't know why. Yes, you do. You do. Okay. <laughs> My son is joining the Navy. I did know this. And he's in high school, but he is taking his oath of enlistment today. So that's kind of cool for me to like mention Elvis and the military yeah. <laughs> at the end of our Rocky Mountain Redemption. So, um, yeah, so congrats to Maddox. He's my oldest son. Yeah, and thank you for his upcoming service. Yes, yeah. and your brother's service. Yes. Your, Mel's brother is a Marine. Yes. So, well, that, with that, that's your Rocky Mountain Redemption. And thank you so much for listening today. We want to remind you to follow us on our social medias. We are on Instagram at Rocky Mountain Red Handed, and you can find us on Facebook. And don't forget to subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. It really does help us out. So we will be back next week. I promise you guys, I will be back next week. Mel, will you be here next I week? Will, I better be here next week. I better not get sick. We'll talk to you next week. So until then, keep your hands clean.